philosophers in space, 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 space. Perfection and power are overrated. I think you are very wise to choose happiness and love. Men of good conscience cannot blindly follow orders. Supreme Court lady, and you f-ing did it. When will you people realize that robots are erotic? Hello, and welcome to Philosophers in Space. This is episode 122. I'm Thomas. That's Aaron. How you doing, Aaron? I'm doing great, Thomas. I'm happy to take a break from the satire that we've spent so much time on on the show and do some nice satire-free entertainment mm. about how cops are the best. What? Sorry. Yeah, just straight up. We did just a straight face value movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, about... a movie about how cops are the best and if we give them enough weapons, they will destroy all crime. That's the that's yeah. the moral of the story. I agree with you. That's Great. Oh, yeah. Off cool. to the pub we go. <laughs> If you if we just had a more perfect gun for every police officer in the United States, that would fix all the problems. Yeah, if if cops were invulnerable, yeah. that would solve things. That's what I've learned from this season mm-hmm. of The Boys, for example. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to do that. Great season. Oh, yeah. Gotta yeah. love that season. So good. I'm sure we'll do it eventually. Anyway, for now, we're doing RoboCop, a mm. movie about... A robot that becomes a cop. <laughs> I believe it's actually pronounced Rob O'Cop. I think it's Irish. Yeah. Rob O'Cop. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I can't he wait. He's a police I, officer. I, I enjoyed this tight. movie apparently more than Aaron. I don't know. You're not a I big think fan. It's, it's, it's fine. It's not my top Verhoeven. I would, you know, much prefer a, a Starship's Troopers or a um, Total's Recall to this yeah, one. That's but, close. you know, it's fine. But I think it's interesting because I was, I was reading some of the, some stuff about it, and I don't know that this one, I don't know if the satire came through as well in this one to the average viewer, you know, versus... It's possible. Well, yeah. actually, Starship Troopers, I think, is similar. I, I guess that's it's what Verhoeven likes to do. He likes to make movies that are satire, but then a lot of people don't get that it's satire. Yeah, and I'm not even sure that Total Recall even qualifies as satire. I oh, think I wasn't it's just, counting that. Just a... Just a <laughs> action movie yeah i wasn't um, yes i do Total agree Recall. yeah <laughs> yeah he like he likes his satire sort of I, I guess you could call robocop subtle it feels weird to say that now that i've said it out loud but i guess <laughs> yeah. technically speaking it's, it is. yeah it's maybe not subtle so much as like it comes with bells and whistles that you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. disguise what it is a little bit yeah no i definitely agree yeah. And yeah, a lot of it holds up. Some of it, some of the effects especially do not hold up, oh. but there's there's some good solid stuff in here. I guess it's my bias. I just love the old stop motion crap that they used to have to do in the 80s, like mm-hmm. where they were <laughs> before oh, no. CGI. What's that? Yeah, no. The, I don't want to make fun of the stop motion so much, though we can talk a little bit about um Ed 209 <laughs> some, some. Yeah, so it's pretty bad, but <laughs> but I there's something charming about it to me that I miss. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. No, it's fun to imagine little guys with little models like trying to take pictures yeah. of them doing And they have things. to overcompensate with sound effects to really try to get cuz it looks so not real that they're like, "Well, mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. make let's give this robot 
a like a, a lion's roar sound effect for some reason. Like, yep, roar, like that doesn't make any sense, but okay. Intimidation noises, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> we're going for there. Oh, I love this movie. Uh, do we need to uh, get into the uh, exposition zone? I suppose enough. I reckon chat? we should. Okay, yeah. punch it. Let's punch it. You're traveling through another dimension beyond that which is known to podcasters. It is the middle ground between fair use and copyright infringement, between ordinary fanboying and meaningful analysis. It is the exposition zone. All right. Yeah, I love this movie. I I just I think it's so funny in the beginning where their whole thing is like they've got uh there there's a corporation that this is it's too real. It's all too real. <laughs> The evil corporation Omni Consumer Products <laughs> is uh, has a contract to like privatize police, and mm-hmm. they have there's like two different kind of you. I guess the types that the 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 people within the corporation are is like the uh, '80s Wall Street type, you know, where mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. there's like the one '80s Wall Street younger guy and then the older guy, and they both have different plans for what to do. Both involve killer robots in a way. Uh, and, and they're uh, virtually identical. Can we talk about for a second how hard it is <laughs> to distinguish between the white dudes in this movie? Oh, it is well, do you like mean the, the like the CEO <laughs> and the the lower old man? Because the one guy know. is younger. You're asking so. me? I do I do not know. There were three to four different white dudes in pinstripe suits, and I can't tell. Like I couldn't pick yeah. them out of a lineup if you asked me to right now. Oh, but you can tell the two robots apart, can't you? <laughs> I bet yes, you could. One of them you has racist. guns for hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of them's like the size of a tank, and the other was a roughly man size. One of them can walk upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! By the way, RoboCop. I I uh, he's he was the villain in one of the st- new Star Treks. He's great. I, mm. I like that guy. I, yeah, he hasn't I want to talk done a little like bit that much other stuff, has he? Wellers. Oh, he's uh, he's done a lot of really interesting things. Sorry. We should do naked. Yeah, lunch I was gonna say day. he hasn't done that much like mainstream stuff that you. I don't yes, think. it's more. I think like that's right. Million, he mostly does yeah. weirdy things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I want to talk about him a little bit more after dark. If you sure, we'll do. <laughs> but while we're actually mentioning the racial demographics, I think it's a little odd. I didn't realize that in Detroit in the eighties it was like ninety five percent white. Did you um, know that? In certainly in the uh, boardrooms of corporations, yeah. 100%. Well, certainly in the boardrooms, but like literally <laughs> at every level, in every. Group oh, I know. Shot. Even the even the like the the organized crime, the criminals, the every everything happening. Like the yep. two the two drug lords meet, and they're both like a sitcom dad, like almost literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. One there's, of them literally one in, black dude in the bad guys. Yeah, and the, and of course because it I guess because it was the eighties, I'm not sure, but like the one black guy who's the criminal has to. Be like over the top criminal, like <laughs> yep, yep. He's, he's he like be... one of the hyenas from Lion King for some reason. He's always doing this like weird <laughs> laugh. I want to know the story yep. there, actually. Yeah, no, they were like, do Eddie Murphy at full coke. We're talking all <laughs> the coke, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> anyway, so they're developing. I can't believe anyone's not seen this movie, but if you haven't, or at least knows what it is, but. My favorite part comes in the very beginning because mm-hmm. the guy, one guy has a giant, you know, robot and he's d- making his pitch to the CEO. And so the giant robot comes in and they're like, <laughs> and they're like doing, oh, we'll simulate a crime here. So you hold a gun, you know, and whatever. And then the robot, of course, malfunctions and, and can't tell that the guy put down the gun and then mm-hmm. just absolutely annihilates the guy. <laughs> just yep. like yep. destroys him with these guns, just riddled with bullets over the top. 
And then the CEO is like, I'm very disappointed in you <laughs> to the guy. It's so good. That's the, that's, I, I just for that scene yeah. alone, it's just like, yeah. it's so funny. Like there's no, no part of the corporate reaction has anything to do with like the guy just got wasted. Like it's, they're like worried about the contract, you know? Uh, it's like so funny. Johnson's not getting a bonus this year. Yeah. And so because that guy effed up, the other guy has, it turns out he was developing another plan somewhat involving robots, but his plan was to like, I don't know, I guess reanimate a cop corpse to be, be a robot. I guess it's more melding human robot technology was his plan. So that's where yeah, we cur- get I'm RoboCop from. I'm curious what from. R&D they did on that. Like, yeah. has his team just been like building all of the pieces of a person and just yeah. like waiting for chunks of meat to shove into it? Like it, what, what yeah. sort of R&D? It doesn't stand up to much scrutiny, but I don't, I think that's, you know. <laughs> That's that's not the point, you know. <laughs> Team Frankenstein is standing by, sir. We are ready. Yeah. We can do this. But I, you know, I really. You say a lot of the effects are dated, and they, you know, they of course they are. But like also the stuff they were able to do. I got mm-hmm. done with this movie, and I was like, this must have been a gigantic budget. I was like, all the mm-hmm. explosions, everything they're doing. There were effects that were seemingly like you really didn't even need. Like they could have just avoided doing an effect at times. Mm-hmm. And then I look. And it's actually really pretty shoestring. It was like thirteen point five million, which I I mean I don't think that's much even in nineteen eighty nine. I don't think that's a whole lot. And I, I'm I'm impressed with what they were able to accomplish in nineteen eighty nine with not much budget. Mm-hmm. It's even more impressive when you realize that twelve of the thirteen million were spent on blood squibs. The other rest is <laughs> yeah. Weller's, I think, budget. Well, there's a yeah. scene toward the end where they get a hold of some rocket launchers to, you know, and they're just like, let's play <laughs> with them for 30 minutes for nothing yep. just to yep. run up the, I guess, the budget. I was thinking, like, was it not that hard back then to just blow up cars in a street, you know, <laughs> or something? I mean, How did Detroit, that not cost Detroit was going pretty cheap at that point. You yeah. probably could get away with blowing it up on the on the DL. <laughs> Maybe that's how they save so much money. I also wonder if, like, back in 1989, like, none of these actors probably cost a whole lot. Like, they're not really no. big names. So maybe that's – maybe they saved a lot on that. But, but I don't know. I love the stuff where, like – you know, it's all been done and it's all tropey now, but like the robot waking up and the robot's point mm-hmm. of view and like the targeting mm-hmm. system stuff. It's, I don't know, I liked it. I guess, then again, Terminator came before this, so I guess it's all mm. been done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like it. I To me, the moment that stands out as the most beautiful piece of special effects is the removing of the helmet scene. Yeah, yeah. That's just like... The 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 way that they have sculpted the models so that yes. like it looks like a face wrapped around the metal and it right. just it's it's a perfect I, bit I of Cronenberg. Totally agree. It's just a, mm-hmm. a great makeup job. It's just like perfectly blending it in so it looks like his face is wrapped around a big thing. Awesome. Ugh. I love it. I was there yep. for it. Yep. It's super cool. Unlike the guy falling out of the window, which is yeah, no, one of the classic why did worst his arms. Yeah. His arms, Why? when he falls out the window, are like 10 feet long. What yeah, is that? It's a good question. People have long wondered what happened to his arms in that sequence. Why are his arms like that? Why? There is no answer. <laughs> There's, no, There's no answer, Thomas. There's just There's, the Normally footage. it's There's, the... Because, yeah. like, I, you can't fault it that much for being... Because this is the same as Die Hard. You know, like, in the first Die Hard, when Professor Snape falls out of the mm-hmm. window... The bad green screens were bad green screens back then. There's not that's just, you know, the technology they were dealing with. But at least they used actual but, yeah, person. But why only the guy's arms are weird looking? Like everything else is fine and the guy's arms are like 11 feet long. 
Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. What? I don't know. <laughs> I'll never. I mean, it's actually the sti- on Rotten Tomatoes right now. It, the still shot is that. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at like his arms are like five feet long is the weirdest thing. Weirdest thing. Yeah. Anyway, some sort of weird clip art CGI I don't know how project. Much, yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah. like they used a dummy, but or, or something, but not. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So I, I, I guess for plot purposes, I'll try to, you know, pull my weight around here. As far as the plot goes, <laughs> there's not that much I'm sure that we need. But uh, the cop, the guy starts out as a cop and uh, he, he has a couple characteristics that are only there to let you know later when he's RoboCop that he still has his personality. But, uh, you know, he's got a, a son and a wife we never see. He's got I mean, a jawline, man. It's the jawline. It's that the really jaw- sets I, him Yeah, apart. I was thinking that like, oh, you just cast this guy like when you were casting this movie. You didn't bother with like, oh, give me a, you know, give me a Shakespeare monologue and a more contemporary, mo-. like that doesn't matter. You're like, just cover everything but your lower face and let me see what it looks like. You know, like that's all you need. That's all you need yep. to know for RoboCop. And yep. he, it's he, surprising he that great... Wellers didn't get cast as Batman after this. Ooh, yeah. He has a great that. He talks really weird. And how did you like that? I, the, I, yeah. know, I, I guess they were going for a robotic form of talking, but it was a little weird. Sure, and like Robot Robocop is very clunky in so many weird ways. Um, that yeah. are sort of they feel almost even retro for the time. Like it feels <laughs> like they're they're going for something like that. But yeah, I mean, I like Weller's a lot as an actor. I was uh, raised on Naked Lunch and things like that, so I like his very weird sort of deadpanny approach to speaking. By the way, it's a uh, Weller, just uh, Weller, typical me. typical Wellers. Aaron fashion yeah. added. Yeah. Added one letter to the name. That's fine. You know, names are optional. They're sort of you're on brand, and I just want to point to people who probably wouldn't know that. But I'm looking at the IMDb, so I'm able to tell you that. I am a machine. I stick to my programming. Is it that you? His name is Peter Weller. So are you subbing in Peter Sellers, and then is that what's happening? Probably. That's probably describe the mental process. (laughs) New philosophy topic: What goes on in the Chinese room of your brain? Wait, are those two different people, actually? I'm not not convinced that they're different people. Did you think this was Peter Sellers the whole (laughs) time? No, I didn't. (laughs) That's a very Uh, different person. (laughs) Uh, But also great. Anyway, so the cop obviously goes and gets destroyed in stupid fashion by the -the over-the-top criminal hyenas that... God, they had to make it... That part, I don't know how much is part of the satire and how much of that is just typical 80s movie... Like any criminal had to be mm-hmm. so over the top because I don't know, people were super afraid of criminals and didn't understand them at all. Is that yeah? That said though, say what you will, Kurt uh what is his name? Oh, Kurt he's Smith. Great. Oh my god. Yeah. Just just chew, he, like he's, chewing the scenery, no doubt, but like chewing it up real good. I totally agree. I'm glad you said that, because I actually think he's a fantastic villain. Like he just has mm-hmm. this he just has this um it's like a confidence that feels really natural that but like really effective it's it's good mm-hmm. he's a good villain he should have he's done very that smarmy <laughs> so he gets wasted you know robocop before he's robocop gets wasted and then he's oh wouldn't you know it he becomes the body for robocop and they do that and the robocop is just this unkillable perfect targeting thing that just goes and, the, <laughs> and the, except when it's not yeah yeah and the guy who <laughs> Invented it is like really, really playing up the '80s Wall Street guy thing, like just doing coke with off of girls' boobs and the, all the success that he's had. And uh, he expects that you know this one super cop is going to eliminate crime within <laughs> New Detroit, 
with you know in 40 days mm-hmm. which kind of is, is is along the lines of of the satire that we're going with here like the yeah. idea that something just need we just need something that can kill and stop crime more efficiently and that'll just end the problem as though there's no underlying issue it's just well, what we really crime. need is a group of extremely powerful individuals to come together and avenge crime and that would solve all the problems no? <laughs> and like why do they, i mean i know you're joking but why do they only have one ready like wouldn't mm, you, yeah wouldn't you have a team of these going Especially because according to the cops in this place, the cops are dropping like flies. Like, I'm not yeah. sure why they were waiting around for some cop meat. It appears that cop meat is readily accessible <laughs> at the butcher. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know how much of the plot you want to go into here. I mean, that's that's really as much as matters, I think, for philosophy. Or do you want to go through the rest of the movie? No, yeah, it's like 45 minutes, people shooting each other and doing drugs yeah. and then shooting each other some more and... Um, yeah, I mean, again, I think the best sequence is absolutely the part where he takes the helmet off and, like, it's just so dramatic and disturbing. And, yeah, other than that, everything is fine. Everything's great. Yeah, and and there's a lot of just it turns into an action movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm, like they're, mm-hmm. they're, you know, so I, I'm with you that it's this is not, like, absolute stroke of genius or anything, but there's some there's some great stuff in this movie that I really enjoy. You got you got to love that the ending of the movie is... Uh, RoboCop proves to the evil corporation guy that a member of his evil corporation had done something evil, and so yeah. the guy gets fired and then murdered out of a window. Yeah, that's so just, the key that's is the that resolution. They pro- they programmed in a prime directive, secret prime directive four, that RoboCop could never hurt any of the execs at the company, and so mm-hmm. the dramatic sequence, which by the way was badly acted. I, I knew this was obviously knew it was coming, but like, it, mm. it's stupid. It's uh-huh. it's over the top. Sorry, <clears throat> it's over the top. Um, he he's just like, you're fired, and then Robocop's like, thank <laughs> you, and then just wastes him. I don't know, it's yep. funny. <laughs> it is, and it then is. he it's, falls it's, out of the window rompish. with super long arms, and that's the long. I still don't. Weird. I don't yeah, no, Verhoeven is very good at giving you a sort of light-hearted, ultra-violent romp, and I think that's yeah. that's great. I'm, I'm a big fan well, of that kind of okay, stuff. Okay, I have to bring up, though, at, this is this is one of those things I just did not understand the point of, but was also blown away by. The, the One of the criminals, for no reason, in the final sequence where they're all trying to, you know, get RoboCop mm-hmm. and he's going to get him, he r- drives a truck into, because of RoboCop effing with him, he drives a truck into a tank of toxic waste. Oh, yes. And he just turns into a horrifying, like, tr- like the toxic that effect crusader is what he turns into. He turns into a horrifying mutant that was like disgusting. Really well done effects, but it mm-hmm. also was so. It doesn't really make sense. Like, what part of Mm-mm. the movie was that? You know what I mean? It uh, it could have yeah. not happened. And it, like, he could have just run into something and the truck blew up in the end of the movie or whatever, or end of that guy. But like, he becomes this disgusting mutant that walks around like trying to and then the the main bad guy runs him over with his car and he just turns into like pure liquid it's just yep you just it's so gross i I like to think that the special effects team was calling the shots on several of these key plot points and they were just like no we're gonna melt a dude and you're gonna write it in somehow if this had been made now that would have been the setup for the Toxic Avenger origin story that would have led to the yeah. opening up of the universe into all the super characters. You know what yeah. I'm saying? They got to work on the world building a little bit more. You don't kill a character like that after you've melted someone. You you build on that. 
so weird. It seems so gratuitous, but I don't know. It also there's a really, lot of really weird gratuitous violence yeah. in this movie. Really well done makeup job, though. I was I, I was pretty horrified by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a great sequence. I was I was I was thinking that you were going to be talking about the part where the guy decides to get a crane and drop a bunch of stuff on RoboCop, and that doesn't kill him either. Again. It is really yeah. unclear what RoboCop's power level is. We've talked in this show yeah. before about like Thor-like characters who do not appear to have a clear power level. He is well, at some points invulnerable and at other points n- deeply vulnerable. Yeah. Well, no one is like, hey, shoot for the mouth. Like, shoot no. the part of him that's skin. No mm-hmm. one ever says that. They never do. Weird. Nope. It's also not clear how the, the stuff inside of the metal, which what I assume would be his brain parts and things, are like resistant to the impact trauma of a bunch of things hitting that metal all the time well he should have for sure been dead when the yeah when the guy when the guy from uh, twin peaks drops a pile of metal on him he was <laughs> definitely dead but i think mm-hmm. for plot purposes or sequel purposes they're like nah he's good <laughs> yeah there's some there's some funny stuff i like the um the anti-tank guns with zero recoil where you can just like yeah. one hand an anti-tank gun it <laughs> doesn't matter <laughs> Well, you see, what happens is you just point it, and then someone plants a bomb on the thing you're aiming at, and then hits detonate mm-hmm. on that bomb. That's how technology. That is works. a that is a pretty useful trick. Yeah, a bomb <laughs> teleporter. All right, I think we've we've plotted that out enough. Shall we philosophize? Definitely. So, what I actually realized, and I this is surprising to me. I don't think we've done an episode on just talking about. AI violence or or AI mm-hmm. being equipped with weaponry and violence. Um, generally, when I teach this in AI ethics, there's a paper by a guy named Sparrow called Killer Robots, which is about the application of AI technology in military scenarios. Um, but I had a harder time actually finding uh, articles about the actual use of AI as cops. I did find... You know, there's obviously there's plenty of stuff about the use of algorithms in policing in various forms, but like yeah. having the AI itself actually be the cop is sort of, I think, a not a very widely like it's it, probably for all the reasons you can imagine. Nobody's like super interested in that idea f- yeah. because of the concerns. Um, but like you can really see there's sort of a similarity. There's a lot of overlap between prison guard robot, military robot and RoboCop as like three areas where you might consider automating state violence um, and that they could come with slightly different concerns, uh, it seems like. Yeah. Well, I feel like we don't, we haven't needed, we still have plenty of willing and able people who want to go be murdery cops. So we haven't needed Mm -hmm. to replace that part of it. We just, they've been trying to replace the part where they have to do any thinking about who to arrest. That's the part they want to. Really, that that would be automate. certainly helpful. <laughs> yeah. So, so the paper I did uh, actually, somebody sent this to me. This was um, I want to give a shout out to a Ripsa, uh, who's a friend on Twitter who does a lot of AI ethics stuff. Sent me a paper by Peter Azaro called "Hands Up, Don't Shoot: HRI and the Automation of Police Use of Force." HRI refers to um, human robot interaction. So this was a paper, literally, you know, laying out concerns that one might have with um, automated policing, essentially. So the four major concerns that the paper lays out, and he characterizes this as like the deadly design problem is the term that he uses. The idea, you know, generally speaking, when you're making AI, your goal is for them to not hurt anybody ever. 
And so what do you do when you have an AI where part of their job, part of their line of duty might involve hurting a human being in certain scenarios deliberately? Um, and the four concerns that he comes up with, and then we can talk through each of them some, are how do we decide what legal standard to adhere to when designing the AI? Um, how do we design it so that it um, makes appropriate assessments of when to use force when it is necessary and, and how do we decide when in fact it is necessary for the AI to use force and then a related concern of proportionality and then finally a concern of accountability. Now these are all concerns you I think tend to see whenever you're applying AI force in any of the scenarios that I was just referencing, um, but I think there are some slightly some slight differences between the prison guard situation, the robot in the in the field of battle, and the RoboCop. Um, so I think we can let's set it, we'll set aside the military robots and the prison guards for a second and focus on our domestic policing question here. Um, so I'm going to just ask you. I assume intuitively you're probably not super keen on the idea of RoboCops. I mean, you're probably not super keen on the idea of cops, as you've pointed out yeah. entirely, but but yeah. like, given the choice between RoboCop and Human Cop, I don't know. Where do you stand intuitively at this point? Uh, this is hard because really mm -hmm. we need to just deal with the underlying issues that are <laughs> producing crime. So I haven't really... <laughs> you're like, I, I just mean, want to get rid of cops, man. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't think you have to get rid of cops, but just like totally reduce, mm -hmm. vastly reduce what they do. And then there mm -hmm. are going to be times when a couple times when you cops, you know, we already have the like bomb robots and stuff. What, how does mm -hmm. that, uh, how does that, does that qualify as a cop? Well, yeah, that was actually the scenario. There was the guy who attacked the cops in, I want to say it was Dallas and they oh, yeah. killed him by detonating a bomb using yeah. the robot. Yeah, so, like a drone maybe or something. Yeah. Yeah, and I have um in the in the article that I'll, I'll link in the show notes, they reference a couple of examples of real life cases. There's been people who've been attaching tasers to drones and showing that a ta you know a drone can you know effectively tase people. And uh, also there was an attempt by the cops in Dubai to try to roll out uh, artificial policing. I, I gather it hasn't gone. That hasn't occurred or anything. This was this was an article from like back in 2015, and I haven't seen much about it. Um, but I gather it probably hit. It was probably a bit of a publicity kind of situation that hit the usual kinds of snags. As the paper points out, you know the technical concerns are really the less significant concerns here in a lot of ways. It's not given new technology. It's getting less and less challenging to create a robot that can effectively shoot somebody, for example. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's that's not the hard part. The hard part is programming them so that they only do it in the right ways and in the right situations. Yeah, that seems really difficult. I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. on one hand, so I have a million thoughts about AI in policing, and I don't know if mm -hmm. that's going to be part of part of uh, part of your TED talk today, or if we're just doing the. <laughs> police robot, you know, like killer robot thing. Um, but if we're talking about police killer robot thing, on one hand, let's say, okay, we want to talk about, you know, put aside the fact that that's, we need to deal with crime in other ways, but like, we'll say for the, what X percent of crime that you do need, like mm -hmm. some sort of police officer with a, with a gun to deal with whatever percent that is. Um, on one hand, it's, it's sort of like the self-driving cars where you're like, well, that seems really difficult to be able to program in and have something mm -hmm. smart enough to understand the co the context and the, you know, and everything that would go into like, this is the bad person. This is the, the innocent person. Don't shoot. The, you know, like that seems really hard. And then on the other hand, you're like, well, 
current police suck at it, so <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe a robot would be better. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's that's the intuitive response that like the situation seems particularly bad now, but also the hardest problem here would be creating an AI that is any more sophisticated or does um, any better. Now, the strongest advantage of the artificial cop would be, in theory, it would no longer have a reason or a motive to act in self-defense. And so uh, yeah. the paper argues, right, given right. that the majority of cases where police violence is used are cases where it's a case of the, the cop claiming as some sort of self-defense, um, you would in these situations no longer have that violence because as long as no other human being is being threatened, the AI would in theory not be programmed to use violent force in that situation. I mean, we're pretending that it wouldn't be programmed to protect police property as in the robot, like with... <laughs> With the equal yes, amount of gusto yes. that we we are pretending. <laughs> okay, pretend for the that. Sake of argument, yes. <laughs> you are threatening property. <laughs> All right, fine. You make a fair point. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that's no. a great. I mean, on one hand, um, the reason you know, I'm trying. I don't know if this is a good point or not, but like, I don't know which if it's a causation or correlation thing because the way the law works, every time there's a shooting, the police is going to say that they are you know, doing it Mm -hmm. in self-defense because that's what they have to say to be able to get away with it. So I don't know if that affects the point at all, you know, but like, it is true that, you know, that one, if you, if a, if a RoboCop pulls up to any number of the situations that we've seen in the last forever, uh, Mm -hmm. where innocent black men are killed or something, it's usually like, uh, uh, if it's Philando Castile or if it's one where, you know, oh, they have a gun in the guy. I was feared for my life. The robot should hopefully not have any such fears like that or be programmed to have any of those fears. So mm-hmm, you would think exactly. that would be better. Yeah. So that would be the argument in favor, right? You're, and, and again, I think, as I joked at the beginning, this is immediately a disconcerting argument because you are, in effect, saying if we make the law enforcement officer invulnerable, yeah. right, in some way, or, or if not invulnerable, then no longer a person, then we will likely improve their behavior where there's good reason to think that, like, invulnerable things that aren't treated as persons and given lots of weapons may not necessarily <laughs> act in the ways that you want them to. <clears throat> Um, yeah. So, right. But but uh, by the same token, though, I just don't think humans are very good at this role that they're. Mm-hmm. I mean, and by that I mean humans are great at like doing crap, you know, really bad things to each other and dominating each other in awful animalistic ways. Uh, they're mm-hmm. not good at doing things like enacting force in, you know, dignified and respectful ways that are, you know, like that's something mm-hmm. that does not come natural at least to american police officers yeah and you can imagine you know a kind of de-escalation bot right whose job is if some (laughs) sort of violence starts to take place between humans their job is to incapacitate the individuals in the least violent way possible until you know humans can arrive and sort it out or something like that. i imagine it just goes in there with like you know cognitive behavioral therapy bot like (laughs) tell me about your mother like it's just like let's get to the the bottom of this issue I go full behaviors. I assume that, you know, it's like uh, Demolition Man where the bot just comes in and sprays everybody with solidifying foam until someone yeah. can come and chip it all out. Well, it's funny because I was actually going to say, why don't we put all our focus in the world, you know, if if you're worried about this particular problem? Shouldn't there be some better non-lethal weapon by now? You know, like mm, shouldn't there mm-hmm. be 
Could, is there something ethically wrong with just like tranquilizer darts or something? Is that the because it feels like at this point <laughs> it's a bad that idea. Would, it feels like at this point that would save a lot of lives, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think your watching of movies has confused you about how uh, how easy it is to measure the dose of a drug and then knock somebody out with it. Yeah, yeah, um, you'd have to have a different gun for like each weight of person or something. Right, and of course they're going to be shooting women and children, so you're going to have yeah. different you have sizes. a lighter gun for that. Yeah, <laughs> and it would be you know spray painted pink, of course. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's talk about some of the other key problems since we've already, I mean, you know, this is, I'm going to do my best here to try to make a case, but like it's, there's a reason that, that most people are not highly into this, this way of going. But the other concerns that they raise in the paper are trying to decide on the legal standards by which the cop is going to act, pointing out, for example, that there are different expectations state by state within America. Are you going to make, you know, like, are New York RoboCops going to be programmed different than L.A. RoboCops? Are they going to, are we going to make RoboCops that can be changed depending on which state they're shipped to? So they're programmed with, like, different levels of acceptable use of force or something like that. Mm. Uh, there's there's lots of weird sort of issues like that. And then there's the bigger, broader point, which I'm sure you'll appreciate, which is none of America's laws at present, it seems like, effectively cohere to the Human Rights Council international laws on policing. <laughs> yeah. So are you going to program them to follow national yeah. laws, even yeah. if they violate international laws? Of course. Of course what you are, What part of right? America are you not understanding? Magabot. We already, uh, by the way, the Supreme Court has said that a police officer doesn't even need to know the law. So this is mm -hmm. all nonsense. It just, I think it's we true. would just have a killer robot that has no regard for the law. And it wouldn't matter. I would just be happy if we could program them to not freely associate with white supremacists. Is it possible to make a robot that <laughs> no, doesn't sorry. do that? No, can okay. do. <laughs> um, I wanted, to, I wanted to actually. The Portland read the police quote. is like, hey, uh, we have a shipment of robots coming. Uh, we need to talk about this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Are we able to interface with the Proud Boys in a clean and effective way? Oh, can we get like a Proud Boy extension on them or yeah. something? Yeah. How do I program in the Wi-Fi for the <laughs> Proud Boys Wi-Fi? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, so I wanted to read this because I, I was curious what they would point to as examples. These are these is the list of all the ways in which American laws appear to violate international laws oh, in wow. this way. Um, so they say, uh, these shortcomings range from permitting the use of force to gain compliance with lawful orders to using lethal force against fleeing individuals, even when they pose no significant <laughs> risk to ha cause harm, yeah. to permitting lethal force as a first resort rather than last, to failing to establish policing, police's, uh, police and procedures for documenting the use of force and discharge of firearms, uh, to failing to establish inquiries into police actions resulting in death and serious injury, to failing to provide oversight mechanisms for monitoring police use of force and training. So yeah, those yeah. are all the ways in which we are not currently in compliance with the Human Rights Council. Yeah, not a surprise. <laughs> that should come as a shock to no one. I know. But what are we going to do about the cop? You know, how's the RoboCop going to handle that fact? Uh, what are we... Sorry, what? I mean, yeah, so, like, what are we going to do? And this this also, we've talked, I think, before on here about programming ethics, broadly speaking, into the AI. Are we going to, for example, make a RoboCop that strictly enforces the law? Or are there ever going to be situations where, you know, we want it to say, I'm not going to follow that order kind of situations? Uh, I, you know... 
this this again comes into where people will start to worry that it needs to have some sort of human element to it. Well, don't you think the first step to this and probably mm-hmm. the only step to this would be not an actual robot, but like one of those Skype droids that goes around and there would still be police on the other end of it, like controlling its actions, you know, like, don't you think that's probably like a how drone. this would go? Yeah, like a drone. Well, you know, like what's what are those little robots that like walk around and have this, the screen on it, you know, that mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you can interact with them. It'd be yeah, probably that. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, so that actually comes up some in the Sparrow paper, and he says that when it comes to military drones, the military claims they are not in any way interested in moving from, you know, semi-autonomous to fully autonomous weapon systems. But the major issue there would be a piece of technology like that is likely to be highly susceptible to, you know, various kinds of cutting it off from its source of orders, right? All you have to do is knock out the robot's Wi-Fi and the person has lost control of it, essentially. So EMP could really easily, in theory, uh, wipe out the access that the AI, that we could have to the AI. Now, that might be more of a concern in a, like, battlefield situation than in a domestic um, situation. But if, you know, if, uh, for example, if, individuals right if criminals learn that like a wi-fi blocker is all you need to stop your robocop then that's not a very useful robocop (laughs) yeah that's true that's a good point i didn't think of that plus humans are slow right do you really want like humans to have to make a final call when a life is on the line right that's the whole that's like the opposite of the whole point of trying to automate the system is that you're trying to get the humans like and this is actually i think a fascinating tension right we're both trying to get the human element out of it and also trying to keep the right parts of the human element in it in some way and i just you just can't have it both ways it seems like i Um, just don't I hope we don't live in a world, which obviously already me saying this means we do, but like, I hope we don't live in a world where (laughs) we're trying to solve, like by making Mm -hmm. super intelligent AI RoboCops before we're just fixing crime in a better way. Like I really, I I I really hope that's not the society we live in. And yet it obviously will be. Yeah. Clearly have very bad news for you. (laughs) Uh, you know, it's a really accurate movie, this RoboCop. And I love yeah. it. I love it as a satire of the industrial, like these various military and, and police industrial yeah. complexes where it's like Ed 209 still ships in the second movie. Like it's yeah. still out there, even though it still doesn't walk downstairs. Well, and the guy, yeah, that we could have brought that up. But the, the old guy with the long arms when he falls mm-hmm. out, his whole thing was like, who cares that it didn't work? I already had like these all these contracts line up for the military mm-hmm, and all this mm-hmm. stuff like he he he's insulted that the guy the CEO really even cared that it didn't work. <laughs> it's right, just right. To, it's just, yeah, what's wrong with money? You? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like funny. those. Uh, gosh, what what are those like fake IED detectors that the military mm-hmm. bought? What was that story? Gosh, oh, I don't remember. I was just thinking about the Something fighter like jets that. that didn't work. No, there's um, plenty of stuff that doesn't work. Yeah, there's plenty of things. So so other concerns that I think are actually quite interesting when we start to imagine, like, what do we really need to teach this AI for it to be able to effectively police? Um, in the domain of, like, when does it figure out how to use appropriate, you know, force? What, you know, when is it necessary? 
some of the major things the paper brought up that I thought were valuable was questions of how it learns to classify human gestures effectively, because a lot of the lead up to the use of force is going to involve speech and, you know, like pointing fingers at people or, you know, stuff that that is is complicated, nuanced social interaction stuff a lot of the time. And so how does it um, figure out when it really has no other choice but to apply force? And then even even more interesting, I thought, than that one was this really great philosophical question. How does it figure out how to classify what's a weapon? Like, everything is a weapon in a sense. And so does it, you know, view, how does it learn that, like, a person carrying crutches or something, like, isn't carrying a weapon? Just because, you know, in theory, that could be used to hit somebody. Uh, so how does, it, how does it distinguish between genuine cases of weapon versus, like, you know, in our, we already know in our society, between lots of fake versions of weapons, as well as, you know, things that are weapons, but are different degrees of lethality. So there's a lot of, I think, nuance that could go into those classifications. I just want nothing to do with any of this. I don't know. <laughs> How did you even do this reading, which without being like, why would we ever my do, job, like, son. <laughs> fix economic inequality and give people money? And then you've, bam, you've solved almost all crime. Eh, there's still going to be crime, but I, I don't know what. And OK, I'll ask. But but in a serious question, I guess, related to this, is this all under the idea that like these things are going to just roam the streets all everywhere all the time? Or is this because I was thinking more in like. You know, in very specific situations, you would deploy the cop mm. robot, you know, like yeah, a hostage um, situation or something. It, no one no one is seriously considering this enough to even, as far as okay. I can tell, be answering that question. Like, well, I just don't. Then like, in the remaining yeah. time we have, I really want to bring up just a couple AI related things, if you don't mind, or, or I'll make sure you get through through all your stuff. But we're almost out of time, so. Oh, uh, yeah, the last thing, the last concern, which also relates to human judgment was proportionality, which, um, <laughs> you know, this, this again is where people really think that, like, you need the human element. Though, as I think, you know, as we talked about in Children of Time in the part two, including a human element doesn't, doesn't always solve your problems. In fact, it can make it much, much worse, right? So implementing the human consciousness in some weird way into a partially robotic system, like, or, or cyber, you know, even cyborgize, you know, cyborgizing. Hmm. Hey, what is the verb of that? To cyborg, to cyborg someone. <laughs> he, um, she, they, cyborg, we cyborg. Right, to cyborgize a <laughs> individual, right? You get into this in, in um, Ghost in the Machine as well, as you, as you increasingly transport them from biological to non-biological, is it not unlikely that their embodied cognition could change in very substantial ways? Yeah. So, it doesn't really provide you, you know, like reliable proportionality. And as we see in this movie, right, Robocop, immediately the human element freaks out. He gets up, he runs away, he does a bunch of other stuff that he wasn't supposed to do. So I think that's actually pretty accurate to what you'll get from the mixing, the hybridizing of these things. Um, and then and I'll just say one more thing and then you can get to your other discussion stuff. <laughs> There's the accountability issue, um, which I think, you know, maybe we can pause on that. We can talk about that some and do another episode at some point on uh, accountability for the implementation of AI, both in military and in non-military settings, because I think there's lots of interesting questions. Well, yeah, we that could, maybe arise. we do want to do we want to leave AI in policing for another time? Because like I, sure, I've sure. recently read a few articles I was going to bring. Oh up. yeah, no, I was hoping to do it a whole episode at some point on. Oh okay, algorithmic well, we'll policing that. as a separate yeah, thing. Yeah, because yeah. oh, man, well, just as a teaser, I mean, there's a New York Times article I read somewhat recently. Oh my gosh, that was back in June. Ooh, the time flies. 
Uh, I'm looking at it now. It was back in June, but it, it's called Wrongfully Accused by an Algorithm. So, we, I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. to talk about. Maybe we'll leave it for another time, but just as a preview, I mean, there's facial recognition and the fact that, you know, wouldn't you know mm-hmm. it, facial recognition works best on white men and works mm-hmm. worst on uh, any, like, the darker your skin is, the worse the, <laughs> the facial recognition is. Um, but, which is interesting because I, I imagine it might be very subject to whatever the um, the sort of the prevalent majority is in your country. Because I know in like in China, mm-hmm. they use this a lot. And I'm, I'm sure the same problem kind of goes the other way. It's just like who the programmers are and like which faces they're using to train it. Um, right. What's so the that's data a, set? Yeah. Yeah. What's the data set? There's nothing like inherent to computers or anything. It's just that no. when you use the data set, uh, use a data set that, that focuses on certain people. And then there's also the like, so there's also the concerns of, well, there's another, there's a book I read somewhat recently on domestic violence. And on one mm-hmm. hand, um, on one hand, there are very algorithmic things that we should do, that police should do. There's like a score sheet of mm-hmm. who is at most at risk of being, you know, harmed or even killed by their, uh, you know, 90 whatever percent of the time male spouse. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a whole checklist. So on one hand, that that would lend itself to an algorithm. You know, it should be pretty easy mm-hmm. to be like, okay, do they have, and there are different different factors, like have they lost their job? Have they, I, you know, it's been a few months since I read it, but stuff like that. Like, have they lost their job? Is there a gun in the house? You know, is, do, is there a history of not just domestic violence calls, which is also part of it, but like specifically like choking, you know, like strangulation, any of that kind of stuff. Like there's these factors that make it incredibly accurate to mm-hmm. predict who mm-hmm. is going to be harmed by their spouse. And so on one hand, I'd be like, well, yeah, slap an algorithm on that baby, some sort of AI and just tell us like who's, you know, what we need to do. On the other hand, of course, th- that could also go both ways when you talk about crime, widely speaking, you know, if if, if our mm-hmm. system has, you know, systemic racism embedded in it, then an algorithm is going to be like, yeah, also if he's black, he's definitely good. You know, so like there's all mm-hmm. the the problems of both. You can predict crime somewhat, you know, accurately using these things, but you can also predict the crime that our society has decided to police disproportionately. And then that will be reinforced within the algorithm. Uh, and there's all kinds of problems there. But so mm-hmm. it's really interesting. Um, maybe there's we'll also- leave it for a later date. Yeah, and there's also, and this this gets to your general frustration here, the use of the algorithm doesn't have to be at the point of policing, right? You can be using, the like, that checklist that you gave, right, is yeah. a good list of things that we as a society could work on so yeah. as to reduce the, you know, like, and we could employ, you know, AIs to then figure out what are the causes of those things and, like, you know, do these regressions to, like, try to analyze these problems and, the, and like, the underlying systemic causes of those problems. So part of it is just, you know, are you implementing the AI to make your policing more effective or are you implementing the AI to make your policing net less necessary? Right. That yeah. that's, those are big changes I think in, in thinking. And that's, a, that's a philosophical shift that we can make that doesn't cost us anything on the, you know, practical end. Yeah. And there are people, there are a lot of people who are resistant and I think our culture, our society is a bit resistant to, looking into underlying causes for crime because they would rather it just be that some people are criminals and some people aren't, you know? And right. if you Can don't think that's you, luck. hold on. If you don't think that's you, 
wait until we apply this to, um, uh, which has been done and is kind of controversial, um, sexual assaults and rapes. Like there mm-hmm. are factors, there, there are papers written on like, here are the factors that will increase um, the likelihood that this will take place. And it gets met with, no, you don't understand. Like people are either rapists or not. There's no, it's like, no, well, there's factors that can happen that go into that crime and can increase it or decrease it. Uh, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it shows it, it, it is met with a lot of, I think, you know, attitudes that I are very understandable, but are ultimately might not be helping us reduce crime. If your if your attitude is people are either bad or not, or they're, you know, any, anything mm-hmm. along that scale, people uh, t- are resistant to looking into these underlying causes sometimes. Yep. That's why I preach moral luck all the time is because yeah. everybody likes to recognize the luck when it helps them and ignore it when they don't. And the, re- the right answer is it's all luck. Yeah. <laughs> it's luck all the way down. All the way. That's how we like to end every show. Luck all the way down. Well, that's uh, that's that's at time. Oh, that was a lot of fun. I love that movie. Mm, that so was fun. And maybe we'll do uh, the sequels for NASA or something at some point. Yeah. Let's also not build killer police robots. I don't know why I said it because <laughs> we're obviously going to, but let's not. <laughs> you know, well, that you they're know gonna, what's going to have this recording and they're going to show up at your door and they're going to say, oh, they sir, will. did you try to stop us from being invented? Oh, Please absolutely. Come with us, sir. And that, uh, that's what, what I was going to say is, you know what will happen because you had the example of like, oh, well, they, they, uh, they won't fear for their lives. So therefore, yada, yada, which theoretically should be true. But what will happen is they'll get programmed in there that like any p- uh, potential attack on the robot is going to allow the perpetrator to then commit some crime, you know, on some bystander or something like, well, if I allow the robot, you know, if if I, the Mm -hmm, robot allow mm -hmm. myself to be taken down or compromised, then that, that can't happen. And that, and that'll, that'll lead to a bad effect. So then it'll essentially just double down on like any threat to the robot will instantly be like met with lethal force on that logic. And then, like you say, they'll knock down my door and be like, your, Mm -hmm. your podcast is threatening our, threatening our existence yep. so don't yep, do it it's okay the, uh, <laughs> it's, the, it's the rick and morty um vehicle all over again yeah well i thought you were gonna say it's like the almost like the roku's basilisk or whatever like it is also roku's basilisk yes, yeah it's the road we job. all should be the ones who root for the robocops right now because mm-hmm. then we mm-hmm. won't be then in the future killed by <laughs> exactly <laughs> or something i don't know <laughs> I, I didn't fully understand roku's basilisk <laughs> made no sense to me but anyway no i get it um okay so that's our show we got to do the things we do every show though which is what's our preview for next week yeah next week we're taking a trip back to who town we're gonna do a little bit more doctor who and we've once again got our expert mike hall on the line to help us make our way through that weird world we're gonna watch a movie called uh, Doctor Who and the Daleks, which is going to introduce Thomas to the Daleks, which is going to, I think, really be a satisfying after dark, hearing you complain for for a long time about this. Oh, uh, great. But yeah, I mean, oh, really great. <laughs> think of it like a bonus NASA. Uh, it's uh, available on Amazon for folks who are so interested. So what you're saying is not only do I have to watch more Doctor Who, but even longer forms of Doctor Who? Let me let me be clear. This is a movie that is a shortened down version of an eight episode, I believe a six to eight episode arc. And and Mike was like, well, do we watch the six to eight episode arc or the movie? And I'm like, no, we're, <laughs> we're definitely going to just watch the movie, my buddy. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I saved you from a lot of Doctor Who is what I'm saying. Oh, so I should be grateful to you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have reduced it down to an acceptable level of Who. I'm sure we'll have a lovely time. I can't wait. I have to I have to mention after that we are on to the book Parable of the Talents. Mm-hmm. So if you've not picked up your copy of Octavia Butler's Parable of the Talents and started reading it, I highly recommend you do so. It's the perfect thing to read right before this election. It is too re- I am almost well, most of the way through Parable of the Sower mm-hmm. and it is too real. Um mm-hmm. that she I don't know how she unlocked a portal to the future back in 1991 when it was mm-hmm. written. But she did, and it's terrifying. Yep. Um, so everyone can't uh, go forth and be terrified by the, the these books. All right. Well, uh, we also need to see what our fine patrons at patreon.com slash zero G are making you say this week. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Yeah. Thanks to our RoboCop-level patrons. Poor COVID caught a nasty case of Stephen Miller. In the darkness, hope is something you give yourself. I shake my little tush on the catwalk. On the catwalk. I shake my little tush on the catwalk. <laughs> Winchesters never die. Ewan, Ian, Owen, Aaron, Aaron. Dude, Corey Ebert. If you still have an income, make sure your podcasters do too. Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman. The coronavirus apocalypse is making me too depressed to uh, think of anything clever this week. Anthem episodes are my favorite episodes. Dune episodes are a close second. And Chad T. And all the very special thanks to our definitely, absolutely, pretty sure not a clone patrons, Chad T., Ronald Pooley, Sam Buck, and No Commute So Behind on podcasts. We miss you, No Commute. Hope you get back to us sometime. Well, they're still patrons, so yeah, no, that's that's uh, it's great. But as I long want as you to enjoy the show too. Well, but they still have in the future. They'll they'll have You're plenty to enjoy. <laughs> All right, that's our show. Thanks so much. But hop on Patreon.com/slash0g for this after dark killer police robot talk. This has been a burst transmission of Philosophers in Space. All music written and performed by Thomas Smith. If you've enjoyed your infotainment upload. Please locate the nearest podcast interface device and fill it with five-star ratings and glowing reviews. If you think ground control should spring for fun new goodies and content, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash zero G. You can find us on Twitter at zero G philosophy, where Aaron will instantly and compulsively respond. Or you can email us at philosophersinspace at gmail.com. Finally, if you're sad that it takes so long for our signals to reach Earth, you can always find Thomas over at Serious Inquiries Only and Opening Arguments and Aaron over at Embrace the Void. Until next time, live long and philosopher.